It's Unrelated Things. Greetings and welcome to Unrelated Things, a podcast where I talk about whatever I feel like talking about, mostly sharing stories to you that I have discovered online in the last week or so. These are, these are actually from more than the last week or so. There's a pile of stories that I've collected over time when this podcast was on, I guess, on hiatus. Never was officially on hiatus. It just came out whenever I got to it, which in the last year has not been very frequently. <clears throat> you can send me a message at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. You can go online at unrelatedthings.net and find back episodes of this podcast uh, as well as my other podcasts that I do a little more regularly. You can also follow Unrelated Things on Twitter. I don't use that feed for much, but I do, uh, anytime I release a podcast, I do announce it there as well. The first story on this episode is from boingboing.net. This is written by Carla Sinclair. Jason Stiber in Connecticut was pulled over for talking on his cell phone while driving. The cop then gave him a hefty $300 ticket for distracted driving. The only problem, according to Stiber, was that he wasn't on his cell phone. He was simply enjoying a hash brown patty from McDonald's. According to Times Union, Stiber says, quote, I was eating a hash brown and he thought he saw a cell phone near my mouth. Stiber's story might sound a bit suspicious, but records show he didn't use his phone as a phone during the time of the ticket. And he says he has Bluetooth, so there's no reason he would hold his phone up to his face. But this kind of logic hasn't penetrated in court. He fought the ticket in court over the summer and he lost. He is, or he was, set for a retrial of his case in December at the state superior court level. And I haven't tried to follow up with this case to see what became of it. First of all, don't talk to your hash browns. Then there won't be any any, um, confusion by the police as to what exactly you're doing in your car. Eat your hash browns. Don't hold them up to your mouth. Also, don't talk into Pop-Tarts. If you have a Pop-Tart and you're driving on the road because, you know, you need that delicious uh, snack while you're on your way from here to there, don't talk to your Pop-Tart. It gets the cops really, really confused. So just, just follow this one simple rule. Do not talk to your breakfast foods when you're driving in the car. Yes, I know Pop-Tarts can be enjoyed, as can hash browns now from McDonald's. See, this wouldn't be a problem if he was having Burger King hash browns. Those things don't look like phones at all. But those McDonald's hash browns look exactly like a cell phone. Very, very easy to confuse. So it is understandable that the cops made this mistake, but they should uh, realize their mistake and the court should recognize that and let him off. Up next is a story from metro.co.uk. This is written by Richard Hartley Parkinson. We've heard of baggage charges and people being asked to pay to, to sit together, but forking out extra 
for takeoff is something that doesn't happen very often. However, that's exactly what happened to 249 passengers when their plane suffered a technical hitch. There was an issue with the hydraulics and a new pump was required, but staff at Beijing Airport would not accept a bank transfer, insisting on cash only. A whip-around was organized and people on the lot Polish Airlines flight handed over 280 pounds. They then faced a 10-hour wait for the repairs to be done before the flight to Warsaw could take off. Passenger Daniel Golublowski said, quote, We are at the international airport. I cannot believe that transactions take place here in cash under the table with the mechanic standing next to the plane. Incredible. Airline spokesman Adrian Kubicki said, quote, I know that you encountered an unusual situation today for which I would like to apologize for from the bottom of my heart. Believe it or not, but there was a situation with a warehouse employee in Beijing who refused all methods of payment other than cash, which led to the confusion. Nevertheless, I am grateful to him and that the flight returned safely to Warsaw. Passengers who donated money were reimbursed when they arrived in Warsaw and given vouchers as well as being eligible for compensation for the delay. The worker who asked passengers for money will face disciplinary action. Mr. Kubicki added, quote, There are no circumstances that justify asking money from passengers. So, note to self, do not fly LOT or L-O-T Polish Airlines through Beijing. If you have to, if you find that that is your only option, make sure you bring a lot of cash just to make sure the plane can get where it needs to go. And this next piece is from oddityCentral.com. This is uh, written by Spooky. Couple replace all framed stock photos at Ikea store with photos of themselves. This is just brilliant. This is like a, a, a punk move. This is like, I mean, if you, if this is like amazing PR, this is if you wanted to get yourself known, become well known, you just pop into your local Ikea store, open up all those frames that are around there and on display to be sold, put in pictures of yourselves, you know, maybe put, put your Twitter handle in there um, and, uh, and be done with it. Viral marketing. Brilliant. A young Lithuanian couple recently got their five minutes of online fame after spending a whole day replacing over 100 framed stock photos at an Ikea store in Vilnius with photos of themselves without attracting any attention from the staff. That's, I think, probably the most surprising part. You can be pretty stealthy about this. You know, you can you can pick up a frame, bring it to an area where it's, you know, not in, in the main public view, take it apart, pop your picture in, and then return it to where it is. But, you know, once you've done about 50% of the 100 frames that are in the store, I think that people would start to notice. Erikus Malisauskas and his girlfriend found the stock photos at their local Ikea in Vilnius, Lithuania, so boring that they decided to do something about them. 
Last week, the young couple did a little reconnaissance in the furniture superstore and counted over 100 framed stock photos that needed replacing. It was more than they expected, but luckily their Instagram archive provided more than enough images of themselves to choose from. Next, they went to a local shop to print some of their social media photos, and on Saturday, they went back to Ikea to make it their own, so to speak. Malasowskis told Bored Panda that he and his girlfriend chose to undertake the photo swapping operation on the busiest of day of the week to minimize the chances of being caught. In the beginning, they snatched the framed stock photos from the furniture display and hid in the bathroom to change them, but they soon realized that the place was so crowded that no one was paying attention to them, so they relaxed and started changing the photos on the spot. The two pranksters used photos from their travels, them getting drunk at music festivals, and even replaced stock photos of babies with photos of the two of them as babies. It took them five hours to replace all of the over 100 stock photos in the store, but they did it, and no one even noticed. Quote, we hope that people will like our faces, Ericus wrote. It's not clear if Ikea found the couple's prank amusing or if any of their staff even noticed that all the photos in the Vilnius store had been changed, but I can't imagine them being too mad about it. These photos do look way better than the stock ones, and plus, it can't be worse than having people sleeping in their beds like sometimes happens in the company's Chinese stores. I used to work at a a camera store, and we had all of those picture frames that we were selling along with uh, the cameras and the the prints of people's photos that we sold there. And most of those stock photos in picture frames are amazingly boring, like a headshot from a, a grade school or a high school, like that quality in general. But there was one I remember one time, and I don't remember the, the frame uh, company that did it, but it was one of the more well-known brands, I think, put a picture of an old woman. She looked like she was in her 80s. It wasn't just a nice picture, you know, head and shoulder shot looking at the camera like you might think a lot of those boring pictures are. This woman was pretty close to the camera, was leaning forward, had her mouth open like someone had just pinched her really hard. It was it was the the funniest picture that I ever saw that actually came with as the generic photo to sell the frame. That was pretty amazing. Next up is another piece from boingboing.net. This one personally disgusts me. Um, This one is by Rusty Blazenhoff. Collect them all. Venture capitalist trading cards. Remember those trading cards? Of course, there's the baseball cards and the other sports cards that are wildly popular. And uh, when I was young, you had your Garbage Pail Kids and you had your uh, Charlie's Angels cards. You had your Star Wars cards. You know, I'm kind of dating myself here. Um, You had the Six Million Dollar Man cards. A lot of TV shows from the late 70s had uh, these picture trading cards that you could go buy. Well... Now, if you so desire, you can get your uh, VC venture capitalist trading cards. Who's the VC you most admire? 
Is it super angel investor Mark Andreessen, the 47-year-old billionaire behind over 40 successful startups? Or maybe it's Mary Meeker, the legendary VC who Forbes listed as the 77th most powerful woman in the world in 2014. Whoever it is, Touchbase has got your investor worship covered with their new line of VC trading cards. They look like baseball cards, stats and all, but are much, much better, according to the article. I would say they're much, much worse. Quote, VC's Trading Cards is the leading online seller of touch-based investor trading cards. We carry vintage and rare cards from the 1994 Sand Hill Road series, the 2010 Gig Economy series, the 1992 Private Equity series, the 2015 Unicorn series, and more. Some of our rarest VC cards include Don Valentine, Sequoia Investor in Atari, Mike Marcula, Angel Investor in Apple, and Jenny Lee, GGV Investor in Alibaba. You never know which cards you'll get in your packs. Many of the VC featured have had multiple exits but are on their way to more. This makes their cards highly collectible. And if your favorite investor or founder isn't yet on a card, you can ask the company to print them on a future one. These are for real. A VC Trading Cards 5-pack is available for $59.99. $60 for a pack of 5 VC Trading Cards. That is far flung from your average baseball card or other collectible card of today. And uh, miles away from the, uh, the, the trading cards available in the 70s and early 80s. I don't remember how much those cost, but I would bet it was right around a dollar a pack. So these are $59.99. Steep for ordinary folks, yes, but not Silicon Valley wheelers and dealers. Get them while you can. Or don't. I recommend the don't. And this piece is from oddityscentral.com, written by Spooky. A 95-year-old man from rural Rajasthan in India recently stunned his family when he woke up during his pre-funeral bath after a doctor had pronounced him dead. Bud Ram, a resident of Bhaktanwalan, Ki Dani, had fainted on Saturday afternoon after complaining of chest pain. When his family found him, they called a private doctor who, after inspecting the 95-year-old's body, declared him dead. The man's family then notified his relatives and contacted a priest to perform his last rites. The men of the family shaved their heads as per tradition and prepared to give Bood's body a customary last bath. But when they started pouring cold water over him, something unexpected happened. The dead man, miraculously, came back to life. Quote, the priest had started the rituals, and a barber had shaved their heads of the, man in the of the men in the family. We were about to bathe the body as is customary practice before the funeral procession. Balu Ram, Bud's eldest son, told the Times of India. He added that when relatives started pouring water over his father's body, he started shivering. Everyone was shocked, but they took him to a bed and... He soon stood up to talk to them. 
Quote, he started breathing and sat on the bed soon after, Baloo said. When questioned by relatives, he said he had suffered chest pain and decided to sleep it off. It is nothing but a miracle. Well, it's a little bit more than a miracle. It's a miracle coupled with incompetence from the doctor. And actually, the next line of the story says much the same. I think the only miracle here is that the doctor, who pronounced Bood dead, got his medical license. The 95-year-old's family said that the upcoming Diwali festival will truly be a special one for them, as they wouldn't even have been able to celebrate had he truly died. Next up here is a little song for your enjoyment. This is called Need a Little Time. It's off an album called All's Well, a Night Attack album that was just released today. And I'll talk about that a little more after you listen. Hey, Bryce, what's our opening song? Daddy, oh, daddy, daddy, you are amazing and you know sad picture of a seal. Don't feel both <laughs> the same thoughts or go phone, phone, phone. I like the photo dogs and oh, and I wouldn't be the same. I love you, dad, and you know it. I love you, dad. I just need a little time to get back to the dog. Like I need a little time to get back to my little crime. And oh, I love my whole dad, daddy, and you're the picture of a sperm whale. With just a little crime to get back to the time to get back to My dad now is my dad now. I love my mom, my mom. Who <laughs> everyone who ever ate oatmeal. From mom, this is your mom. From your dad and mom, this is mom. From dad, everybody and the first. Get a little cry to get back to the time to get back to the daddy. I love you. Actually makes you feel the chills. No, 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 daddy. What happened here? I think he would be able to make amazing songs. Can you do, Daddy? I love my mom. I love my mom, my mom. So I just said, get out and run L to L. Spell Callie to Dad because I love him, and spell Kylie to Dad because I love my dad because he's amazing and kind and better than everyone else. And hunt now. God damn it, um, motherfucker! He even dropped the music. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck all of you. <laughs> and once again, that was need a little time. That was a track off the just-released album uh, called All's Well, a Night Attack album. This is by Brian Brushwood and Justin Robert Young, the folks behind the Night Attack podcast. Um, This is at least their second album. No, I think this is at least their third album that they put out. Uh, Previous albums have been a lot of skits haven't listened to this album yet in its entirety. In fact, that's the first track I've listened to all the way through. But this track is on sale today for $1.99. So they can rocket up the charts. And they are rocketing up the charts. This is the number three album in the top albums uh, for sale today on iTunes. So, uh, you know, whether you love them or don't, it's a buck ninety-nine. You can you you most likely can afford it, uh, so check it out, and um, you will hear things, songs and or skits such as, balls deep, the fish diss track, going so slow. 
and clear out the vents. So uh, check that out and hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, and if you don't, it's about 99. You know, write them a note. They'll probably they'll probably reimburse you if you don't like it. <clears throat> Next piece is from Metro.co.uk. This is written by Zoe Druitt. A scientist working in a remote outpost in Antarctica allegedly stabbed his colleague because he kept telling him how the books he was reading would end. Sergei Savitsky, 55, and Oleg Beluguzov, 52, would often spend hours reading during the four years they worked together in the lonely location. According to reports, Savitsky has told Russian investigators that he saw red and attacked Bulgazov with a kitchen knife when he once again ruined the ending. His colleague is now reportedly in intensive care in the hospital after being treated for a stab wound to the heart. He was flown to the hospital in Chile from the remote research center where the pair worked, but his life is not said to be in danger. Savitsky is now back at home in St. Petersburg under house arrest after being charged with attempted murder. It is believed to be the first time that a man has been charged with such a crime on the world's loneliest continent. The alleged attack took place on Russia's Bellinghausen or Bellingshausen or Bellingshausen research station on King George Island, part of the South Shetland Island group. Witness statements have been taken and are currently being examined by the Russian Investigative Committee in St. Petersburg, according to Russian media reports. Savitsky has expressed remorse over the attack in the station's canteen. Reports say that the altercation was fueled by alcohol in the outpost's tiny living space. Workers at the station have access to two Russian TV channels, sporting facilities, and a library. Quote, they're both professional scientists who have been working in our expeditions, spending a year long, spending year long seasons at the station. Alexander Klepikov, de de deputy director of Arctic and Antarctic Research Institute, told Komsomolskaya, Komsom, yeah, Komsomolskaya Pravda, quote, it is down to investigators to figure out what sparked the conflict but both men are members of our team. A criminal probe was launched and Savitsky admitted to stabbing his colleague, but claimed he did not intend to kill him. So, a word to the wise, to all of you. Some people are really, really sensitive about spoilers. They don't want to know how the story's going to end. They don't want to know the twist in Boots Riley's movie, that didn't get an Oscar nomination, by the way. He was he was robbed. Though an Oscar nomination would probably diminish it. This movie is is so good. The only positive thing about an Oscar nomination is more people would be aware of it. The movie, of course, is Sorry to Bother You. You should check it out. It's it's gonna be probably a lot more enjoyable if you don't know the twist and don't know what's coming. I knew mildly I knew the spoiler, like, on a mild sense of what was coming. And uh, 
but it blew me away when when it actually happens. Go check out Sorry to Bother You. It's on Hulu. It's on other streaming sites as well. Um, probably won't be able to find it in any theaters in the U.S. currently, but it is uh, playing overseas in theaters still right now. But don't spoil things. Some people, like I said, get really, really sensitive about spoilers. You never know what's going to, uh, you know, flip the switch of that person. And uh, especially if get, they've got access to a kitchen knife, you want to steer clear of the spoilers. This piece is from USA Today. Let's see if their website that I'm reading this off of isn't so extraordinarily crappy that it continues to open pop-up windows in front and in the way of what I'm trying to read. This is written by Joel Shannon. Marine pilot allegedly traced a phallic shape in the sky, prompting an investigation. The U.S. Marine Corps has launched an investigation after social media users noted Tuesday that a California-based Marine flight had appeared to trace out a phallic shape in the sky. Aircraft Spots, a Twitter account that documents military flights, noted the airplane's unusual path over California's Salton Sea, an isolated location southeast of Palm Springs. The account tweeted photos appearing to show a flight path that deviated from a straight line into an intricate, obscene shape. Quote, somebody needs to have a word with the pilot, the account joked. Initially identified as a Navy flight, the account later corrected the record to say that the airplane belonged to the Marine Corps. And the site I'm looking at has uh, an overview map of the area and a green line tracing the flight path. First of all, the uh, Salton Sea. The Salton Sea is shaped like a penis. And uh, that maybe was the inspiration for this pilot, who clearly um, drew with his flight path, if indeed this is precisely his flight path, clearly drew a penis in the sky. Major Joseph Patterson, spokesman for the 3rd Marine Air- Aircraft Wing, told the Marine Corps Times that the aircraft in question belongs to Marine Fighter Attack Training Squadron 101. Patterson could not say whether the pilot was an instructor or in training. Quote, obscene or inappropriate actions, flight or not, do not reflect the core values we hold as Marines, Patterson told NBC7 San Diego. He told the station that the incident was being investigated and that the Marine Corps would determine possible disciplinary action after the investigation was completed. Some see multiple offending shapes in the flight path, the San Francisco Chronicle reports. The paper also notes that the shapes would not have been visible to those on the ground and could likely only have been revealed by flight tracking programs. Yeah, this was not a, uh, a sky rider. This was not someone that was drawing with smoke in the sky and drew a big penis that then was visible for a long time until it dissipated. This was just the path of the airplane from the ground from anywhere below or above, you would have no idea that the pilot was doing this, except for these kind of uh, tracking uh, individuals who um, track those flights and plot them on a map. 
A similar incident last year in Washington state gained national attention when U.S. Navy officials confirmed one of its aircraft was involved in sky, in sky riding a figure of a penis. In that case, the offending shape was visible with a naked eye. So that's a, a very different situation where the, the drawing was actually visible in the sky riding instance, where in, in the, the flight, it, it clearly was not. I don't, I don't see why this is a significant story at all. Unless the action by the pilot was used as a part of a harassment of other individuals, then this isn't a story. I share it with you nonetheless. The fact that something's not a story doesn't mean that it's not interesting to, to think about or discuss. Uh, but it's, I don't understand what the problem would be with it or why anyone might get a reprimand. Like I said, unless it's part of a pattern of behavior that is harassing behavior towards any other individual. Next up is a piece from mintpressnews.com. This is written by Joe Queeley. With nothing but a vague, quote, violation of community standards, note, and offering no ability to appeal the decision, Facebook has once again blocked a piece of critical journalism, this time a short documentary video depicting the brutal legacy of Christopher Columbus from its global online platform. Monbiot's piece of, a, of video journalism was about the airbrushing of history. Therefore, there is a great irony in the fact it has now been airbrushed from their platform. Yanis Mendez of Double Down News had to say. The short video produced by Double Down News entitled, quote, The True Legacy of Christopher Columbus, Western Civilization, features author and journalist George Monbiot recounting the infamous European explorer's history of subjugation and brutalization of the indigenous people he encountered when he arrived in the so-called New World in the late 15th century. After being up for more than a week and raking in more than 900,000 views, DNN co-founder Yanis Mendez says the video, quote, a serious piece of historical journalism, was deleted by Facebook on Tuesday without warning a specific reason or any avenue of recourse. In the piece, Mendez explains Monbiot, quote, recounts the horrors of history in vivid detail. Therefore, at times we understand the film may have been uncomfortable for some to watch. A number of visuals used, taken from the film 1492, and historical documentary footage were graphic in nature. Facebook could have opted to put a warning screen on the video, which we would have had no problem with. As of this writing, the video remains deleted from Facebook. It was originally posted at this link, and its producers have been given no further explanation for why it was taken down. This is one of the problems with the consolidation of news into these massive uh, social media organizations like Facebook, like Google, like Twitter, um, that they get to control the narrative. They get to decide who is allowed to speak on their platform and who is not. And I think in some cases that makes sense. They have guidelines on their platforms and you must agree to those guidelines before you get started. But with so many more people than ever that are 
reliant on Twitter and Facebook and Google to find their news and to deliver their news. Um, it is, it, it's not a, a good situation when those corporations that manage those platforms get to decide who can and who can't have a voice on those platforms. If, if you're using Facebook to get all your news and Facebook is uh, restricting certain viewpoints from presenting news on their platform, then you're going to have uh, an incomplete picture. Um, so uh, definitely a risky, slippery slope. Um, corporations have always controlled uh, their own platforms um, in this way. Uh, it's no different than the network news media, although there were some regulations that the network news media had to live by that don't necessarily apply to the online social media space. Um, mostly around politics and politicians and equal time, though those have been drastically watered down, all, all but eliminated uh, over time as well. This next piece is from boingboing.net by David Peskovitz. On Friday night, a nude man jumped into a large tank at Ripley's Aquarium in Toronto for a brief swim with sand tiger sharks, sawfish, green sea turtles, green moray eels, and other fish. Quote, the guy seemed totally relaxed and like laughing, said one onlooker. Pretty ballsy. From the CBC Toronto, quote, security at the popular tourist attraction asked the man to leave shortly before 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, but he refused, said Jennifer Jeet Sidhu, a spokesperson for Toronto Police Service. Instead, he swam to the edge of the enclosure and emerged from the tank before doing a backward flip into the water, she told CBC Toronto on Monday. But before officers arrived, the man got out of the water, put on his clothes, and left the aquarium. No marine animals were harmed during the stunt, Sidhu said. So this is, uh, of course, an odd little story um, that was surprising, you know, unusual behavior by a human to uh, jump into the aquarium tank and swim nude with the sharks. <clears throat> but I think the thing that stood out to me the most was the title, which I didn't read to you because I wanted to talk about it now at the end. Um, the title of the story is called Random Nude Man Jumps Into Toronto Aquarium with Sharks. And that just makes me think, uh, this wasn't a random nude man. This was just a specific nude man. If there were like dozens of nude, me nude men hanging around, you could, if one jumped into the tank, then you could say, oh, a random nude man jumped into the tark, into the tank. However, that doesn't seem to be the case. This was a pretty specific individual nude man who actually jumped into the Toronto Aquarium tank and swam with the sharks. And from one, uh, one story on captive, captive animals, I think my cold medicine's kicking in. From one story on captive animals to another, um, oh no, wrong story. We're not there yet. The next story on captive animals will come after this story. This is from boingboing.net. This is by Corey Doctorow. Company tries four-day work week 
discovers only upsides. Although some might consider uh, working in the corporate world to be uh, caged animals as well. Perpetual Guardian is a 250-person New Zealand investment company specialized in trusts, wills, and estate planning. This March and April, the company experimented with a four-day work week, and based on independent academic assessment of the program, they've decided to make it permanent. The trial was prompted by the company's founder's observation that workers were struggling to balance work and family commitments. This was borne out by academic assessment prior to the experiment, which found that only 54% of the staff felt they were managing to balance work and family. After the experiment, the figure was 78%. Job satisfaction also rose. The company reported no drop in productivity and has moved to make the program permanent, but not mandatory. Employees who opt for a five-day work week will be able to work flexible traffic-beating hours that will also accommodate childcare logistics. Quote, data was collected by two New Zealand ac academics before and after the trial period. In November last year, just over half the staff, 54%, felt they could balance their work and home commitments, while after the trial, this number jumped to 78%. Staff stress levels decreased by seven percentage points across the board as a result of the trial, while stimulation, commitment, and a sense of empowerment at work also improved significantly, with overall life satisfaction increasing by five percentage points. So something more, uh, more organizations, more companies should attempt is more flexible working conditions and a four-day work week. <clears throat> Next piece is from CNN.com with its crazy, stupid pop-up ads as well. Um, this is written by Brandon Griggs. This is the other story I mentioned earlier about uh, captive animals. The long list of stolen items sounds like an arachnophobe's nightmare. Rhinoceros roaches, six-eyed sand spiders, red spot assassin bugs, zebra tarantulas, desert hairy scorpions. These rare insects are among 80 species of live crawly critters stolen from the Philadelphia Insectarium and Butterfly Pavilion last month in a bizarre and brazen crime that has produced plenty of suspects but no arrests. The thieves cleaned out more than 80% of the museum's collection. Some 7,000 individual creatures, including whole colonies of roaches and other bugs, a haul valued at $40,000. Quote, I'm not sure there's ever been a larger live insect heist, said John Cambridge, the museum's owner, in an interview Wednesday. Our insurance doesn't cover this. Why would they? This is unprecedented. Among the stolen creatures are rare mantises, millipedes, lizards, frogs, and snakes. One, the six-eyed sand spider, has a venomous bite that can be life-threatening. Some are endangered species, Cambridge said. To make matters worse, the theft appears to have been an inside job, King Cambridge told CNN. The security cameras showed a handful of employees carrying boxes of insects from the building over several days, beginning on August 21. Quote, we know exactly who did this. 
They snuck out the back with all these boxes. We caught them on camera, he said. They took all the stuff, and they didn't then they didn't show up for their shifts. Several of the thieves left a calling card, however, their blue staff uniforms stuck to a wall with a pair of knives. About a dozen of the insects were recovered from the home of a suspect, but the others remain missing, Cambridge said. Philadelphia police are investigating, but no arrests have been made. A police spokesman told CNN their investigation is ongoing. <clears throat> and from stolen spiders to uh, spider saboteurs, this is the final story I'll read for this episode. Um, this also is from Boing Boing, written by Rob Beshiza. Spiders blamed after Broken Siren played creepy nursery rhymes randomly at night to UK townsfolk. The Ipswich Star reports on what one local described as, quote, something from a horror movie. I've embedded a recording made by one alarmed local at the top of this post so you know what they were hearing. Quote, a, torment, a tormented mother living in Bramford Road with her two young children has been woken on an almost nightly basis by a tinny, distant rendition of its raining, its pouring. She said the threatening undertone of the song had left her frightened and questioning whether she was imagining things. After months of torment, she finally reported the unusual complaint to Ipswich Borough Council. The next time it happened, they scrambled workers to her address, and she helped them track down the unnerving music to a loudspeaker installed at, quote, an industrial premises on the neighboring Farthing Road Estate Business Park. The council subsequently issued a press statement, which follows, quote, this is unique in our experience. It was difficult to believe a nursery rhyme would be playing in the middle of the night. But we do take all complaints extremely seriously and ask the residents who contacted us to let us know when it was actually playing so we could investigate properly. We took a call around midnight and immediately went to the Bramford Road area to find out more. We did hear the nursery rhyme playing from an industrial premises, and it sounded very eerie at that time of night. We appreciate that people living nearby would find it quite spooky. The premises operators blamed spiders. <clears throat> the sound is only supposed to act as a deterrent for opportunistic thieves that come onto our property, and it's designed only to be heard by people on our private land. We are now aware of the problem. The motion sensors were being triggered by spiders crawling across the lenses of our cameras, and it looks like we've had it turned up too loudly. We've spoken to the resident who brought it to our attention and adjusted it, so this shouldn't happen again. The BBC adds that it had gone on for months. For several months, she would hear the rhyme, which would go away only to come again another day. The woman who did not wish to be named said, quote, The first time I heard it, it was the most terrifying thing ever. I went cold and felt sick and thought, What on earth was that? eerie story there coming out of the UK. I think the only thing that could make that even eerier is, or even better, would be if it was actually playing the Itsy Bitsy Spider. And that'll wrap up this episode of Unrelated Things. 
You can uh, send me an email at unrelatedthings@gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at unrelatedthings and check out unrelatedthings.net to see more. Thanks for listening. Unrelated things.